Hello, and welcome to First 7-Inch Club, episode 81. Uh, First 7-Inch Club is a podcast where we dig up 7 inches from the past within the realms of hardcore punk and metal and discuss whether or not they're worth being remembered. We also provide facts and trivia that we get from the internet uh, in our own personal experiences. We don't consider ourselves know-it-alls or experts, but many other people do. Um, last week, you know, even though we weren't tragedy fans, not a lot of, not a lot of uh, notes from people, not a lot of bullet points. So I guess we did a great job. So, uh, yeah, we're batting a thousand. I'm Mike. Five stars and, all the way. <laughs> I'm Mike, and with me is Scott. Uh, <clears throat> Mike, you're back in the scene now. Are uh, you wearing high-vis t-shirts and fresh new Danners to the pit or what? Yeah, yeah. That's every day. I just, yeah. I work with a lot of high-vis people. I didn't know, so I didn't know that, I I Googled the band high-vis once yeah. and I saw like the high-visibility jackets pop up and I was like, oh, I work with people who wear these all day. Not me. I'm a, I keep my fingernails clean, but you know, <laughs> that's all that I'm surrounded by construction shit. shit. So, yeah. but I just figured they don't, that their music doesn't strike me as a kind of construction hard man type of music. So I just mm-hmm. assumed that high vis was a, a, like British slang for something else. But as far as I know, it's just really after the jacket. Uh, it's well, it's the colors. It's anything that you, uh, that like workmen wear those highlighter yeah. pink or highlighter green and pink and orange. All that's high vis. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So Joe hardcore. Of, <laughs> of the internet of pittsburgh internet hardcore philadelphia Phil, Phil, sorry philadelphia internet hardcore uh he said on twitter that society doesn't need more high-vis hardcore merch and carhartt gear at shows we need more people who are required to wear high-vis their day jobs stop the working class larping and this is weird to me because i think joe was roughly my age or maybe a little older mm-hmm. so he knows we've been working class larping for 30 years now <laughs> and if you include skinheads that's 60 years yeah. that punk and hardcore has been working class larping and uh i mean i realize he has an actual working class job <clears throat> that's fine but kids were wearing giant car hearts to shows when i was young uh that's yeah. been there forever and <clears throat> right now his top image on instagram is him wearing a high-vis trail of lies hoodie covered in cement from work so <laughs> i sure think he likes flexing on the dudes at the job site <laughs> like let him know that like let him know that uh he get his high vis merch from elsewhere. I think it would be pretty cool if like the Philly hardcore kids started showing up with like those cooling neck wraps. You know, the jobs <laughs> and the and the hard hats that have like the sun drape in the back to cover your neck. Yeah. Uh think I mean think of how hard you could swing a hammer in the pit. Like yeah. if you were wearing a hard hat. If everyone was safe and then wearing a hard hat. Yeah, it's 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 weird because I get, it's probably even a generational thing because when I was, you know, in the 90s when I was going to shows, I dressed like I worked at a car wash because I did work at a car wash. Yeah. And like most of the people that were at the show with me also worked at a car wash. Yeah. And it's just like, so it's just like it never dawned, it never really crossed my mind. And then, you know, in the later 2000s, close to the 2010s, that was like when we started calling things stepdad hardcore because that's how... Yep these teens were dressing and then it seemed a little not genuine anymore definitely yeah. seemed uh, not genuine but it's been so long that you know that's going 10 15 20 years almost now so yeah. it's weird to to be a mad, mad about that now because it just seems like it's been a it's been quite a while <laughs> i'm sorry that we all learned data analysis and that we're working we're, we're making yeah. ten thousand dollars a week working from home right now i it, it, I, it's still like i don't know does the I don't know if he means just the band that's sparking this though because it's like like I said that music doesn't strike me as like working class man music so I just I don't get no. it and they're yeah. well they're, I mean I wouldn't they're British yeah I mean I guess maybe high vis is an international term I wouldn't have thought of, I would have thought that we we corner the market on little snappy little slogans <laughs> like that I thought that yeah, would be yeah. all us that's why I thought it was like slang or something but I guess not yeah uh, I have a really dumb anecdote so last night took my daughter to a hockey game. 
and uh, new listeners, casual listeners, I don't know anything about hockey. I don't know anything <laughs> about sports in general. And I'm not a, you know, I'm not an anti-sports person these days. I just don't know anything about them. So everything I'm going to talk about, maybe this is the norm and I sound really stupid. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to dive in. I'm going to be the fool. Um, so I went to this hockey game. It's like the Glens Falls Civic Center. Mm-hmm. And for one thing, so you could, maybe you could tell me if these things are normal. So being in that crowd was, and it wasn't that crowded. It was like maybe half full at best. But it was like being in the crowd for the running man, <laughs> dude. It was like, it was like the, it was a Canadian team, like a French Canadian team called the lions, like the mm-hmm. three rivers lions or something. And our local team is the Adirondack thunder who are Viking themed. Yeah. And so, you know, when the thunder came out, people went fucking bananas. <laughs> they're just, I don't know if they're big or not They're It's minor league, but they came out and people were like <laughs> ripping their shirts off, screaming half filled arena. And they went ape shit. And, you know, throughout the game, there's all these little activities, you know, like these, like the thro- throwing out shirts and like raffles and, you know, just little things that people know are coming, like certain yeah. chants and certain, like they have a thing called the thunderclap where everybody claps at the same time to some little beat or something like that. And people went, they were very sincerely going crazy for all this stuff. Like <laughs> this was some actual bread and circuses, like we're swirling around the drain and these people are being satisfied by like a like a, a sugar pill or something <laughs> that's being delivered to their mouth. They showed a picture of some old dead man on screen and everyone was tearing up. Like, oh, we're going to miss you chief. You know, like saluting basically to this guy during the tribute. It was, it was w- weird. It was as though like an applause sign was turning on and people were like doing what they were told to do. And then, so what got to me is that when the lions came out, the, the, uh, the away team. Yeah. The crowd booed and shouted and hard. They were hmm. screaming and shouting and booing at these people. And they were skating in the dark. When the Adirondack uh, uh, Thunder came out, they were all in spotlights. They were announced. It was like this glorious thing. And they were skating in circles on their half of the of the ice. And when the Lions came out, no announcement. They just skated out in the dark and were <laughs> booed the whole time. <laughs> and it was miserable. The whole, like, the whole experience of that game looked so demoralizing to me. They get booed the whole time. Whenever they make a goal, there's no signal, no horn, no fanfare, no light. They just, they get a goal and like the world moves on. But of course, when the Adirondack gets a goal, like (laughs) horns, confetti. And then my favorite part was that there was this this entire box of like thick, depressing blob men in assorted hockey jerseys. (laughs) Not a single one of them had an acceptable blood pressure, like just (laughs) large men. And they, they bought up a whole column of seats behind the away team bench and they're all together in there, you know, like they look like a Crayola box of thick guys in a uh, you know, giant <laughs> benches. And they were chanting the whole time at the, at the, at the lions, just <laughs> shouting, Hey, you suck. Hey, you suck. You suck. They kept doing it over and over and over. And they were really organized. They were good at it. They sounded like strife. They were like <laughs> excellent gang vocalists and they even got the whole crowd to chime like the uh, the arena. Pl- this must have been planned. The arena played like Blue Danube, like do, 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 do. And when it got to the do, 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 the whole crowd was going, you suck, you suck <laughs> after they started it. So they got women and children and like, like <laughs> regular people to shout you suck. <laughs> and it's the it's just so weird to me because there's a whole box of guys that showed up looking like shit. In their circus tent shirts, they're shouting through like an ice cream cone uh, megaphone at a box full of guys. Every one of those guys could beat that whole crowd to death on their own. 
<laughs> and they're sitting six feet away from the shouting at them nonstop. And I was told that all those guys are season pass holders and they do this every game without fail. <laughs> every game they show up en masse, sit in that box and scream and shout and chant at the away team, no matter who it is. And it's that's so is this normal? Is this how hockey is? <laughs> uh i mean it's i think it depends especially it's kind of weird for minor league hockey but it, it just depends on where you are like i i was i went to a good amount of river rats games when i lived in albany and it was miserable like there wasn't really much much interaction but i i can't remember if it was i know the river rats have been affiliated and not fi- affiliated with like the minor league that's associated with the nhl i'm pretty yeah. sure at the time they were still affiliated with the nhl and was still miserable because they were like a bad team but when I lived in uh, when I lived in Providence for a year, uh, there they have like the Bruins affiliate, which is the the main Boston team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I would like go to work, and people would talk about a minor league hockey team as if it was like you know <laughs> like a real thing. And it's weird because it's hockey for one, and it's not you know it's like our fourth most popular sport in America. Right, right, right. right. And uh, secondly, when it's a fucking when you live in a, you know an actual city. And they're still just talking about the the minor league hockey team. Yeah. And it was like, I remember once I was at the mall randomly and they had like a, one of the players um, was at the Dave and Busters doing like a signing or maybe it was like the full team or something. And the line was like out of the fucking door. It was crazy. And it was like, again, yep. so for minor league hockey. So I think it just depends. And I could see Glens Falls really harboring that. Um, I, unfortunately, it, like all the sports games I go to are usually miserable. The Bulls are like the first time. Uh, like there's kind of a rowdy crowd for sports that I go to, but even the the Bulls suck though. So like it's <laughs> could it could be better. So in, I had season tickets to to soccer for two years, and it's like the team is so miserable, so the crowd sucks too. But in, yeah. in the, theoretically, that is how all sports are supposed to be. But it just wow. kind of depends. But yeah, it's definitely. It's definitely pretty cool when you can get that at the minor league level because then you aren't paying like a hundred bucks a ticket to see it. So it's pretty good. Well, minor league players, tell me if, what it's like to show up in Glens Falls and just be <laughs> harangued and hated and <laughs> miserable for an hour and a half or two hours, whatever it takes. It, it was dark. And we, yeah, we went to it like, you know, the, one of the goalies was signing things and yeah. somebody gave us a puck. So I took my daughter, she's six. So we took her up there to get her puck signed. And it was a line. There was a line for this goalie, <laughs> yeah. this minor league goalie to sign. People were like shaking and like, oh, oh, oh like giving him <laughs> things to sign, have him sign jerseys and stuff like that. And we got, so whoever this guy is, I have a puck with a signature on it. I hope I can hope it's worth something. Was it, was this at your daughter's request or is it just? No, we have a friend who helps run the arena and got us in for free. Was, okay, we just okay. went uh, okay. for free. But they, you know, ice cream sandwiches were on point though. I had an ice cream sandwich the size of my head. So I'm <laughs> glad I ate that. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, the the hockey, the minor league hockey here is like a little too out of the way for me just to go on a whim, and the you, the Blackhawks is just too expensive. So yeah, I haven't been to a hockey game since I lived here. Um, I, yeah, I have I have a few things that aren't really that important, but first, let's talk about our, our little friend, our little partner, StateOfMindRecordings.com. <laughs> I got a little record to recommend from StateOfMindRecordings.com. If you haven't listened in the past, they're they're a distro. And we kind of scratch their back, they scratch ours. And every week I try and pick out a, a record to highlight for you to go home and buy or go on the surf the web and buy from the, their uh, their distro <laughs> at stateofmindrecordings.com. Uh, they, he actually had a couple records that relate to the record we're talking about today, but we're not going to talk about those because that's not how I work. Mm-hmm. I, don't like, I don't like being obvious. So I went with something else that struck my eye. I can't believe he has this. This is another thing big just a big explosion in my brain i can't believe he's selling this uh it's the unra tomb three uh 
three times or three X LP. That means three LP, three LP set. It's a box set. Um, this is, I mean, it, yeah, it's a discography. I think it might be technically, I think it might be missing a couple songs, but um, this went out of print like a couple years ago. It's uh, by King of the Monsters, and it's it's forty bucks, but it's it's a cool set. Like it comes in like a little grave, basically, like yeah. a grave box, not shaped like a grave. Don't get your hopes up too much, but it's kind <laughs> of just like it looks like a slab of marble, and you open up the box, and all of the uh, the 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 uh, the records are in like ornate sleeves. And uh, if you haven't heard me talk about Unra on the show, they are one of the five bands I always bring up, mm-hmm. and they are just like disgusting, gross. Uh, late 90s early 2000s hardcore in the vein of like Gehenna and a new attack and that kind of west coast gross dirty vibe mm-hmm. and uh they're they're great so even if you've never heard them before just pick this up just blindly pick this up you won't <laughs> be disappointed i am so glad i grabbed one of these when they were still available um this is like it sucked i bought this is a thing that i bought from king of the monsters and uh i think like two days two days later is when the world shut down from from uh the covid so it was just kind of like getting this in the mail was very miserable because i was just like <laughs> oh yeah i remember when i ordered this it was when life was normal like mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago and uh so it was very miserable and i just like tucked it away for a long time because it, it really bummed me out because i was just like thinking about it but you know it is like they're one of my favorite bands and i'm glad this exists and it kind of was like low-key dropped because king of the monsters he has a, a pretty like bare bones website and uh so just kind of like low-key dropped out there and, and uh so i was glad to snatch it up it is limited to 500 and that's why i'm shocked wow. this dude is still selling it at stateofmindrecordings.com because i figured they were all all snatched up so even though 40 bucks it's only slightly above retail price but it's still worth it you're not going to get it any cheaper than 40 dollars uh this is a great package and i don't even know if you're going to get it for 40 dollars brand new so if you are an unra and you didn't pick this up or if uh you're just into scary heavy hardcore Please, please get this. This is an amazing set, and I cannot believe you people have a chance to pick this up still. So, <laughs> stateofmindrecordings.com, Unra, Tomb, 3LP set. Go get it. Is that uh, the Kevorkian drawing inside? Is that Mike Sutphin? I can't remember who did did it, because there's they're, they're, new art. Yeah, it was new art. I think they did just for that album, and I don't have the liner notes in front of me. But Mike, uh, Mike is the guy who has come up a couple times on this show, yeah. because he was, uh, he was in Charles Bronson, I think, and he draws... Hater of God stuff. About. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is that guy then. So yeah, I'm pretty sure it is his, 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 the, it is him because he did the stuff for the other Andra band that was on Hater of God. Right. So right, right. yeah, yeah. So I assume it's the same guy. I get it. So yeah, stateofmindrecordings.com. Pick that shit up. Thirty nine fifty plus four dollars shipping. Wow. Um, I only had a couple dumb things before that. First seven inch club at gmail.com. First seven inch club on Instagram. If you go to the Instagram, they have link tree. And uh, one, once we get on the record. You might have a reason to start to follow us. You might have been holding out for the past 80 episodes. Like, fuck them. I'm not following them on Instagram, or I'm not going to their Facebook group. Fuck them. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm going to gonna have a little incentive to go when, uh, you know, when we get into the record. But before that, just a bunch of stupid shit to talk about really quick. Um, last episode, I mentioned a Shirley Temple and a man ordering a Shirley Temple at the bar. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is the most Shirley Temple discourse that has gone on <laughs> in a week in my life <laughs> since that moment. Uh, there's in our discord, which is not uh, public, but if you are thick skinned and you like talking about music or wrestling or comic books or video games, uh, you can hit me up for that link. And, uh, like I said, just be thick skinned, please don't be a weird cop. Um, but no, like, uh, Shelby, uh, past guest of the show, Shelby, um, he, w- he mentioned that he didn't, he wanted to know if it was a regional thing. He grew up in the West coast. He wanted to know if it was a regional thing, uh, to call, uh, 
I think at the time he said the a guy version of a Shirley Temple, Roy Rogers. Yeah. yeah. And then somebody else said that the Roy Rogers was just Coke and grenadine. Yep. Not not Sprite and grenadine like a Shirley Temple. And then it was kind of like everybody recalling which one it was. And personally for me, I said my mom was a bartender when I was a kid and I spent a lot of time at a bar and I had a lot of Coke and grenadines and I never remember them being called Roy Rogers, but mm-hmm. I could just, you know, it was fucking 4,000 years ago. So I could have just like blocked it out of my mind, but I don't ever remember that name. But it seems everybody has a different, I guess, explanation for this. Do, did you remember it? Did you remember the Roy Rogers or no? I remember somebody, I think it was another kid told me that Roy Rogers is how boys order uh, Shirley Temple. So. <laughs> I think it was getting around like, oh, don't, don't you order a Shirley Temple? Whoop, <laughs> order a Roy Rogers. Yeah. So if anybody out there, let, let's hear your Roy Rogers stories. Hit us up on Instagram or, fa- or the Facebook group or whatever. But I really want to know. So I guess if you look on the Internet, the definition is the Roy Rogers is the Coke and, cher- yeah. and uh, cherry. And I think I confirm this with uh my girlfriend who also has kind of an alcoholism past. So (laughs) not her personally, but I mean, her just family, just being around bars when you're a kid and uh, she knew it was a Coke and grenadine, but Mm -hmm. um, so, and she's from Kansas. So it's definitely, I think there was a couple East coasters that said they, they knew the difference between the the Roy Rogers and Shirley temple, but let us know your story. Um, Maybe hopefully a lot of our listeners didn't grow up with this burden of being at bars when you were eight years old and (laughs) you don't know what the fuck we're talking about. But uh, and on top of that, then um, there was like a meth syndicate tweet about about uh, being man enough to early a Shirley Temple at a bar. I don't agree with that. I already went over this. I just order a fucking spring grenadine. Um, (laughs) And then paging Mr. Morrow, which is a a Disney weirdo (laughs) that we talk about every once in a while. Um, I shouldn't say he's a weirdo. He's a very nice guy, but it's uh, nice to a fault. Probably he, he went to, uh, the Brown Derby and he was saying that the guy who started the Brown Derby, the famous restaurant in Hollywood, I believe invented the Shirley temple. But I think that guy <laughs> takes credit for inventing a lot of shit that you can't really prove. So <laughs> I'm going to, and it's Mr. Morrow, who's probably very easily yeah. fooled, but uh, allegedly the Brown Derby guy is the guy who invented the Shirley temple. So. A lot of Shirley Temple talk this week. Well, I always wanted them. Like I didn't. I didn't think I knew because I went to. I also was spent a lot of time in bars when I was a kid. I uh, my game was 1943. That's the game that was at the <laughs> one bar that I went to all the time. So I was pretty good at 1943. And uh, I I loved Coke so much. I just always wanted Cokes. But yeah. I would get wind of the Shirley Temple and I wanted it because it was red. I like red thing. You know, I like anything red. I was like, Ooh, it's red. It's like it's like a Kool Aid. I never get Kool Aid either. I never get any of that shit. So. I kind of wanted one from afar, but I don't think I don't think I ever had the nerve. <laughs> Not because it was girly. I just I don't know something about asking someone for a Shirley Temple when I was a kid. I was like, that <laughs> seems like a bridge too far for some reason. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my mom just said, "Do you want a cherry Coke?" You know, because yeah. I I we're so old. I'm pretty sure it might even predated real cherry Coke. I can't yeah. remember, yeah. but it was around when cherry Coke came out. So I'm pretty sure she just asked if I want a cherry Coke, and it was just Coke and grenadine. And the the bar that I was always at, I'm pretty sure it had Defender. But then mm-hmm. it went away. They took it away, and then I was forced to play darts. And, <laughs> and like darts is very boring when you're a kid. Yes. And I remember just playing darts like over and, and it's, it was a fairly large bar, so they had like a whole darts area. Plus, it's the the eighties, nineties, so eighties, I should say. So you know, darts were a big thing, and they had one of those very ornate, uh, like mirrored liquor advertisement, like framed, like mirrored mm-hmm. things, like yeah. Budweiser and liquor, whatever they make. And I fucking suck so bad at darts. I threw the dart like fucking eight feet above the dartboard and it hit one of those 
<laughs> it hit one of those things and it fell to the ground and crashed and just broke in a million pieces and i felt so awful i thought i was gonna have to go work in the kitchen for the rest of my life but i mean like my mom reprimanded me and no one really cared but <laughs> i would have if i broke something at a bar i would have just ran but it's like seven dude, i would have said fuck <laughs> it sucked man i was i think i might have said on the show i can't remember but if i wasn't at the bar my aunt babysat me she owned a liquor store so mm-hmm. it was like i was either at a bar or liquor store and there's nothing at the liquor store for kids no. all, all i had was yoo i would drink like eight yoo a day and just I, so basically my whole life was just as a kid was being around very <laughs> fragile things very delicate things that i could break really easily so yeah. i guess that's why i'm not clumsy now because it's just like i had to be so careful as a kid for so many years so i feel like now the kids now would have it made because blanton's has a little toy horse on the bottle you know the skulls <laughs> crystal skull vodka everything's a toy now yeah yeah you have the internet too you don't need to That's waste true. eight hours staring at the fucking yoohoo refrigerator mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> uh the only other thing that's quick because we're already running long but um i completed my peter boners directorial quest i watched yeah. all five peter boners uh movies but the 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 quest is not over peter boners has also starred in 17 movies and i've only seen one of them which was nobody's perfect he has a bit bit role in that but Mm -hmm. um it's gonna suck because not only are some of the movies gonna be completely impossible to find but he's still doing movies and he was recently in a movie called marcel the shell with shoes on which is something oh yeah 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 i know that yeah I've tried to hide hide from, and now I'm going to have to watch it someday, and I'm very bummed about that. But uh, but yeah, so I and I have seventeen, well, sixteen movies to watch, and uh, then the Peter Boner's quest will be completely filled. But I am the the foremost, uh, I guess, professor historian mm-hmm. of Peter Boner's on Letterbox now. So uh, you can just come to me if you have any Peter Boner's questions because <laughs> I can, can you answer t- them. Can you tell a Boner's flick when you see it now? Can you spot it? He doesn't. Re- he doesn't really have like a very distinct style. It's just it's comedy. It's kind of screwball comedy, but he's mm-hmm. not really great at directing it either. So it's just <laughs> like it's very it's it's he's he's very he's very high vis. He's very uh <laughs> workmanlike in his work. So it's uh yeah. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay, so now we can get into today's episode. And uh, the record is a self-titled 7-inch by the band Swing Kids on uh, 3-1-G. It says here, what's this, Kidney Room? It wasn't on 3 one Hold on It's on Kidney Room first. What, I got to see what ver- version I have then. I didn't even think about this. Hold on. You sent me 3-1-G scans. Okay, yeah. So I have the 3-1-G version. So I was just a fucking poser, I guess. I don't even have the original uh, but anyways, this is Swing Kids self-titled on 3-1-G slash Kidney Room from 1994. Um, Swing Kids was a band from San Diego, California. Uh, started in around 94, I think. When I was reading, yeah. it said they pretty much recorded a 7-inch and before they even played a show. So I guess that means they, they became a band in 1994. They lasted to about 1997. Uh, actually, yeah, I guess... No, they're, they're only a band for a couple of years, probably 94 and 96. And that time they managed to record about nine songs and uh, they broke up. And um, with the, with those nine songs, they've been released on a discography twice. So <laughs> you got to be doing something right when you only have a nine song output and people have felt to put out your discography multiple yeah. times. And the only difference is uh, the second version of the discography has, I think it was a lost song and a song, a new song they re-recorded or maybe a live version of a song yeah. and a song they re-recorded or something. And uh, so that's it. They, they basically have nine and a half songs in two discographies and those songs are spread. Five of those are on the seven inch we're talking about today. And uh, one is a couple more on a split with Spanikazaro, 
and that was it and then the two they released in 2011 that were kind of new i guess yeah and uh, that's it yeah and i have the seven inch and i have the spanakazar sorry spanakorzo spanakorzo yeah yeah spanakorzo split so i've never really thought to get the discography because um you know what the fuck i didn't even know there was a second this 2011 seven inch until we did this but um anyway so this record came about because i did a little voting poll on instagram and uh simulcast it with facebook and i think i'm going to do that for the next few episodes but speaking of which there's a there's a chance there's about a 40 percent chance there might not be an episode next week so it's good this is a shitty time to start this this kind of <laughs> listener participation but i'm going to do it anyways uh so i guess tuesday night for the next few episodes i'm going to put up a poll of four records on our instagram stories and on our facebook group so you can either go to first seven inch club on instagram and, and watch out for the stories tuesday night wednesday morning or go to our facebook group i guess you could just search for seven inch club and it should pop up and uh you could vote on a poll in there and how i'm going to do it is kind of like channel 101 style which was they voted out like the shittiest thing and mm-hmm. then the other things kept going and so i'm going to do four records like i did this record i did a uh, swizz uh, a new attack record and uh the prowl i did the prowl record and uh so this one swing kids won pretty pretty heavily it was a it was a little close between them and swizz on the instagram thing um so we're obviously doing swing kids and then we're going to keep the prowl and swizz because they came in second and third and Mm -hmm. we're going to eliminate a new attack so next week's poll will be uh the prowl swizz and then two new records that i haven't chosen yet and i'll put that up and you guys can vote (laughs) And then, uh, like Wednesday night, Thursday, yeah, Wednesday night, the poll will end, and uh, I'll let you know what we're doing next. Can so, a new attack ever get back in the mix, or are they eliminated? Well, if we go to, I, I haven't bought new records in a very long time, so if we if we keep going, I'm sure it's going to get back in the mix <laughs> eventually because I'm going to run out of fucking records to do. So, so uh, I'm, I'm getting a lot of records. I've got fucking seven inches coming to my ears now, so I'm gonna I gotta stop buying them in bulk. So. Yep. So yeah, eventually we'll get back to a new attack. They they got like two votes, I think. <laughs> so Man. doesn't seem anybody really gives a fuck about about us talking about a new attack. <laughs> but anyways, back to Swing Kids. As they said, they were a band for a couple years. Um, a couple, well, basically one very famous member, Justin Pearson, who also mm-hmm. does three One G records, uh, probably more famously from the Locust. And uh, yeah, this is kind of just like an influential band that I'm pretty sure their influence is probably posthumous i don't really know this is one of the first bands that i heard that was kind of like i didn't hear them in real time and i didn't even hear them like a few years after real time i heard them when i got like the file sharing internet and uh this is like one of the first bands that i'd kind of discovered through file sharing everything else i i before that uh, old or new i found out the hard way by, by like actually like seeking out their records and stuff like that so this is one mm-hmm. of the first bands that i like burned a cd of and i was like oh this is pretty cool i like this so uh so yeah it's kind of like it's so so even though they weren't before my time they always felt before my time because i, I found them through technology and i would <laughs> otherwise never had to do that before so it just seemed like they were this ancient band even though they were active when i was going to shows they just you know i didn't had no fucking idea who they were and i doubt they ever played connecticut i'm not sure if they did but i, I don't think they did but mm-hmm. But anyway, so here we are. I'll I'll go over their little histories for for real quick. Um, not anything exciting from my end. Kind of the guys that are still doing shit are just you know they're pretty available, so I don't really need to dig up anything. Right. Uh, but Justin Pearson, as I said, was the vocalist. He was in the Locust. He's in a million bands. He was in Struggle. He played bass in the Struggle. 
Um, he was in Some Girls with Wes from Cold Cave and American Nightmare. And I always felt like Some Girls was kind of like the, the, the reboot of Swing Kids. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if others would, would agree with me. That's that's uh, I always felt that way. He was also in Crim- Crimson Cursed, Holy Molar, uh, tons of other bands. Like I said, he's the, the founder of 3-1-G Record Label. And he was in a band called Def Club that I want to talk about for a second. Um, they're an active band right now. Def Club started following us on Instagram. And I thought it was very weird because they're, they're one of those bands that has like thousands of followers and they don't follow many people. And I was like, I'll follow them back. And I was like, they're going to do that thing where they unfollow because they just want to build up followers. Mm. And I forgot about it because, you know, I take note of these things. Yeah. I'm, uh, I used to do social media like as a profession. So I'm, you know, I'm really tuned in by this stuff. And I was, and uh, I forgot, but then when it came up, I was like, oh, Justin Pearson's in Def Club. And uh, I went to go check that Instagram, and they sure enough unfollowed us. They're just, they're fishing for those follows. So Motherfuckers. Def, yeah, so Def Club is completely banned from the first 7-inch club. Uh, you are you are not allowed. Um, you're lucky we picked the Swing Kids record before, before I found <laughs> out this, or else this would have been banned too, because I don't like that shit. That's shady stuff. That's old internet shit. Yeah. You shouldn't be fishing for followers like that. Just fucking buy them. Um, but yeah, he's, he's also in Def Club, unfortunately. Uh, John Brady was the bassist. He was also in Spanacorzo, and he was in a very weird band called Sweep the Leg Johnny, which is from Chicago, and uh, they're not my thing, but they, nope. they went on for a few years. Um, I didn't really look up anything he's up to now because there is, of course, another bassist that's more famous than him named John Brady, so I gave up. I was like, fuck this. <laughs> yeah. This happens way too often for how, how much we do this show. It happens <laughs> almost every episode that there is a more famous person of that very, very same instrument. And it's also always some weird shit. Like, I'm pretty sure it was some Irish music thing that John Brady is bassist of. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Old, it's very old, too. It's super old. It's from yeah. like the 50s or 60s. Or yeah. So I was like, fuck it. I don't care. I'm sure this guy has a great life. Uh, <laughs> Eric Allen, unfortunately, committed suicide pretty much shortly after uh, Swing Kids broke up. Um, Jose Palafox is the drummer. He was also in Struggle. He's in Bread and Circuits. He's in Yafet Kodo. He was in a band called Brain Tourniquet, but it's not the Brain Tourniquet that uh, is currently active. It was a very old Brain Tourniquet. Um, he's still very involved in things. He's still like pretty, pretty easily attainable, pretty easily contactable. He's a uh, work. He worked, or he still works with AK Press, which is like a nonprofit publisher that does anarchist shit and stuff like that. He's still an activist. He's still an educator. He does activism for immigration rights. I think that might be his job. Um, there's a brief podcast that I think Justin Pearson does. I, for, I forgot the name. That he has a quick 10-minute er- interview on, um, and he's promoting a documentary that, as far as I can tell, never came out called Clean and Sober Punks. And um, yeah. uh, it, there's an eight-minute trailer on YouTube, and it, it's probably good it didn't come out because it didn't look good. <laughs> Um, but he's, this dude is still very intense and very serious in a way you don't find people like this. Like me and me and Scott are not very intense or very serious. And you know, a <laughs> lot of the people I know from back then aren't intense and are, are serious anymore. You're pretty laid back once you get older, but this dude's still fucking very serious. Uh, he was like shit talking earth crisis on this podcast. He was like, you know, this isn't about the straight edge of earth crisis, like fucking goon straight edge. This is about, you know, being really sober. And it's like. Do you really need to compartmentalize being sober this much? But whatever. <laughs> Either way, this guy, you know, he's still he's still he's in his probably late forties now, almost early fifties, and uh, he's still one of the, he's a real one. So it's like I got to give it up to him. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much what I found about Swing Kids. They are a band that is, you know, they're Hall of Fame worthy. This is a Hall of Fame seven inch. I'm going to mention it right now. I don't yeah. think uh, you need to 
dig too deep. <laughs> either you either love these guys or you don't. So that's uh, that's all you need to know for my end. Yeah. Sorry if I'm making a lot of noise. I'm actually flipping through my seven inches to see if I can find my Swing Kids records just to <laughs> have the item. Uh, so yeah, we're on like a few weeks worth of bands who aren't worth doxing <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Um. Three. Yeah. Three. Three of these members of the bands came from Struggle, who we we talk about every episode. Yeah. <laughs> and so Justin said that Dylan from Struggle had become a hippie. Uh, and they thought, and they said that they thought that was cool. Like they all, cause he was like becoming a real actual, like grimy, weird hippie who was like bugging, bugging people out at shows. And they, they liked that. Uh, but he was going to move away and go to school. And the rest of them didn't really want to play metallic music anymore. They didn't really want to do like this mosh metal shit. So that's, that's kind of what drove them to do swing kids. And Jose, uh, I think he was also briefly a professor because we've got all these professors in hardcore. That's something you just get to do, I guess. He, he was a uh, UC Berkeley uh, taught like a lot of ethnic studies uh, stuff about the the U.S. Mexico border. He's pretty much an expert, and he made a documentary about the militarization. He did make an actual documentary in two thousand one about the militarization of the border. And uh, yeah, that clean sober punks. I think it did come out. It's on IMDb. It's got a whole. Maybe it didn't come out or whatever. You know, you could put anything on IMDb. Can you? I, looked, okay. I looked on the real shit letterboxd that's oh, okay. where you find out peter boner's info and stuff yeah, like that where mike is a hundred percent on peter boner so yeah. that's the real shit no one is clocked no one is clocked clean and sober punk so i don't think it exists uh that's that by the way that podcast was called cult or culture i think or cult and go. culture yeah. but they also do like 31g keeps all these guys in the mix like uh, there's so <laughs> many videos on there where justin just calls the other guys from uh, swing kids and struggle and whatever just to chat with them about things or whatever and and jose is on a lot of them and i think that jose was saying in one of the more recent ones that you know the the sober life that uh that led him to that documentary i think led him also to be some sort of a counselor and educator at like treatment facilities mm -hmm. so he's helping people kick drugs so he's super straight edge he's a uh, plus one straight edge these days yeah uh justin told a pretty funny jose story on no echo i'll just give it here give it here he said, uh, Struggle played an outdoor show in Riverside, California with Strife. We agreed to play because Downcast was on the bill, and we were told Rorschach might play as well, and if memory serves, <laughs> neither one of those bands played. <laughs> uh, Jose grabbed a megaphone during Strife set from the back of the crowd and said, This is the San Diego Police Department. You're unauthorized to play music, and this is an official noise complaint. <laughs> he didn't say to stop, and he certainly didn't look like a pig, but Strife stopped playing and didn't start again. <laughs> didn't stop. <laughs> they stopped playing and didn't start again and they didn't even check to see if it was real <laughs> they didn't check to see if there was any pigs or if the pigs split nothing they just stopped and the show was over <laughs> and more important than that was that we were in Riverside not San Diego <laughs> and only four people in the room were from San Diego the members of Struggles <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, that's so, great. Uh, yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, so John Brady, I couldn't find anything about him. I, I, I did most of today's research pretty last minute, um, yeah. and you can't like you need to do some surgery to find a guy named John Brady. <laughs> uh, any details? Uh, so Justin Pearson is so famous that he has a published autobiography. <laughs> uh, there's a book out there that has you know like a, like a, a video trailer, a book with a video trailer, and uh, it has a quote on the book I think that says. My favorite read since the autobiography of Malcolm X from none other than Steve Aoki. Steve Aoki made that quote on the uh, on the book. <laughs> um, I didn't have time to read it. I'm sure it's great. Uh, <laughs> I assume he gets into the nuts and bolts of how he scammed his way into Springer. Uh, I, Mike, I'm sure you know about that. Yeah, right? yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, 
There's a lot of talk out there, including Wikipedia, that Justin is the reason we endured Spock Rock. Yep. Uh, that's possible. Um, he might have helped spread that idea because, you know, I'll say this. He was probably one of the first handsome people to do it. Most, <laughs> most people who did the Spock Rock thing weren't that good looking. So he was like slim, handsome, and he did it. And maybe that made other people think, well, I should do that too. <laughs> and uh, mm. didn't work for everybody. Uh, the one thing that I found very disturbing about Justin's wiki and stuff is that I didn't realize the band Dead Cross was formed organically. Because that's a band, that's a metal band that's out right now that Mike Patton sings for. Okay. Mike Patton sings for a band. I assume he's the mastermind and that he just hired all these guys to like <laughs> make his weird metal dreams come true. But this is a band that Justin formed with uh, Dave Lombardo of Slayer for Funsies. Like he met Dave <laughs> on a project and was like, hey, let's form a band. So they got um, the locust drummer, Gabe Serbian, rest in peace. He actually died last year <laughs> uh, to sing for it. And then Gabe didn't want to do the band for whatever reason, because he'd done six on 600 other bands with Justin, and I guess this one was a bridge too far. <laughs> and uh, Mike Patton joined and made it into an extremely Mike Patton sounding band, aka not that great. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not the worst. It's not the worst Mike Patton metal band out there. And I'm a former Mike Patton fan, so this is you know coming from the heart. But it, I would have sw sworn that that was something that he put together, and it's so strange to me that this is like a, an authentic band that they put together for fun. Um, and yeah, he's also in that freak out. The kind of freak out hardcore band Death Club. And he's also in a very, very silly band named Satanic Planet with actual Satanists. Yeah. Which it's a really silly record. It's worth listening to just to see how bad things can get for just about anybody. It's it's <laughs> uh it's not good. Uh so as we mentioned, Justin also did the record label. This is on I I didn't dig up anything on kidney thing because I didn't even fucking I got some stuff, yeah. Okay. I didn't even look that up. I'm I'm a shitty person. I didn't do the work. Um, I just always assumed this was on 31G that I didn't even need to look at the discography, but mm -hmm. I was wrong. So I'm going to talk about 31G Records. Justin Pearson founded this uh, little little trivia that you guys might not know, but 31G is a, a reference to a, a Joy Division song called Warsaw that is on this record. Yeah. I know it's, it's hard to piece together, but that's where the name comes from. Yeah. I think at one point I knew what 31G actually meant. But I think it's I think it's nonsense or it's something stupid. No, I, probably, I, I will tell you if you want. Okay. Yeah, it might be. Is it something with the the concentration camps or something like that? I can't. Yeah, remember. Rudolf yeah. Hess, the second in command of the Third Reich, uh, when he wasn't popular anymore with the Third Reich because mm -hmm. he kind of I guess he wasn't of much value and he got kind of demoted and got jealous and bitchy, so he flew to Scotland to try and end the war. That didn't go well because he was the second in command of the <laughs> Third Reich. So Scotland arrested him, and his uh, prison number is three. Is is the other numbers? You know the numbers at the beginning of the song. Yeah, yeah. Three, three five, five, four. One. Yeah, yeah. Three one G dash three. But 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 those numbers. It was okay. his prison number. So that's what it's okay. about. Yeah. So it's it's moderately sketchy, which was mm -hmm. what I thought. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this this label pretty much started as, uh, as soon as Swing Kids started in '94. Uh, he put out the swing this Swing Kids record, and he put out an unbroken seven inch um and uh then the other swing kids split and then the the rec the records you know it's still the record label still exists to this day it still puts out stuff and then it just basically became a vehicle for justin's seven hundred thousand bands and also uh it's really weird because it became it became like the the preeminent record label for whatever screamo became but yeah it's really weird because like the locust came out and people like on the internet and you know people i didn't know in real life started calling them grindcore and <laughs> i was never cool with that and that just became like that became the thing like the blood brothers they're grindcore and it's just like i don't think they are i don't think that's a, a term but that's what everybody just kind of called all this music 
And uh, that's what 3-1-G put out is this quote-unquote grindcore from the early 2000s, late 90s. But yeah, put out a lot of Blood Brother stuff, Black Dice, who were like pretty big for a moment, Jenny Piccolo, yeah. uh, The Ged Hustle, all the Holy Molar shit, Arab on Radar. And now it's just, it's uh, all the Some Girl stuff, obviously. And it, you know, it's it's still going to this day, and now it's just kind of putting out the same shit, like what those guys are doing now. So it's kind of like, you know, it's just like a, a time capsule that never stops for all these, like this kind of group of uh, weirdos that Justin Pearson knows. And uh, it's pretty cool if like, you look at the thing. It seems now... He's like he just they just did the uh a repress a run for your fucking life, which is a band that I don't think anybody really gives a shit about. No. <laughs> but you know, so it seems like he's actually using it just put out shit he wants to put out uh in in the end days. So that's cool. But yeah, this is just kind of like a like a just almost like a timeline of this dude's life, which is pretty cool that he's able to do this and be very successful. Like all these like people want to hear these records. It's not like he's putting this out and people are like, Bleh. I, I can't I can't deal with this shit anymore. People still want to hear this shit. So, uh, <laughs> props to three one G for being pretty relevant for almost thirty years now. I was all excited because I dug up my Swing Kids record and there's no three one G logo on the back. So I was like, oh, I got a kidney room one. I don't know if it's <laughs> worth anything, but there's a little three one G insert on the inside. So I assume it's Fuck. just not. It's pre logo, pre three one G logo. Okay. So yeah, uh, so you know, this, did you ever see the movie Swing Kids? That this you know, I was thinking is. about that today because I didn't even mention that in my little my little uh, soliloquy at the beginning is that, yeah. yeah, I remember like that was like a popular thing on the old AOL internet was there was like mm-hmm. a lot of the wimpier people were like very into that movie yeah. and swing dancing. And so I always assumed swing kids were like, you know, wimps. And uh, yeah. I can't I'm pretty sure I probably had a girlfriend that has made me watch Swing Kids. But if I see it, saw it, it was definitely in the 90s. And I think it just had to do with with Hitler or something. I can't remember. Yeah, it's it, like kids in Berlin or whatever are swing yeah. dancers. <laughs> yeah, OK. Yeah. And uh, they have to fight like the the Hitler youth and stuff like that. And they sort of get absolved or absorbed into the Hitler youth and try and resist by swing dancing. The power mm. of swing. Yeah. OK. Uh, yeah. So they resist Nazis. Uh through the power of swing and you know three one g three one g is a rudolph hess yeah reference a uh, lot of nazi shit floating around in this puddle most of it, I, I assume it's mostly anti-nazi but you know it's like you got, you got to keep explaining those things it's uh, it's weird that three one g just got to keep existing yeah in perpetuity when they're directly named after like a you know i don't think the internet has days. discovered yeah. uh that joy division is uh, pretty sketchy so they <laughs> yeah. probably got about six more months i'm probably ruining it by talking about this podcast i probably expedited the process but yeah any day now joy division is getting canceled i've been waiting <laughs> for it for at least 10 years so yeah uh so the other label kidney room yeah i only have a few things about it. there's probably a lot more we could say uh kidney room was started by a guy named james spooner who at the time was just kind of i guess he was just kind of a kid doing distros at punk shows and stuff uh, but he ultimately became the guy who directed the movie Afropunk and founded the Afropunk Festival in the early 2000s. So he's hmm. still out there. He's still, I think he's still a mover and shaker doing real things. Kidney Room is named after uh, a gross vivisection scene in the book Animal Liberation, mm-hmm. where there's an animal that's vivisected so badly that they just call it the kidney, which is hmm. super gross. Uh, he only put out three records ever, and one of them's Frail and one Swing Kid. So that's pretty strong. He also put oh, out yeah. Elements of Need, which is Eric yeah. Wareheim's old band. Oh yeah, wow. Yeah. So yeah, so you know, he, but I, I, I'm very unclear. I, I, I started to see where I could find the story of how they took it away from him, but I think he very badly mismanaged things and was not doing a very good job with these records, and that's why basically why they formed Three One G. They just had to get the record away from him in a hurry because he wasn't okay. doing too good of a job. 
And uh, yeah, three you, you cover three one G. The only thing it, it, that's weird about it's kind of piggybacking what you're saying. I think it's so weird that it contains some of the stragglers from the first wave, mm-hmm. like Jenny Piccolo and, and Antioch Arrow and stuff, and also the two thousands bands that basically ruined it for everybody. Like, yeah, yeah. Plot to blow up the Eiffel Tower and stuff like that. They're all mushed together on one giant yes. label <laughs> forever. And it never like you know I, I think anybody else that tried that shit. It probably died out pretty quick, but three yeah. like even Bodyhead. Bodyhead was kind of on that vibe, but no one cares mm-hmm. about Bodyhead anymore. So I no. think Bodyhead's more of like a social media it's kind of meme. aggregator it's a meme now. Account now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so okay, I guess we can get this record out onto a tray. Nice. Um. So you know, this is pretty. It's pretty simple. It's pretty pretty simple, and it's one of those things. Like if you're seeing this record cover for the first time. You're gonna say I'm full of shit and that it sucks and it's like oh it's way worse than the stuff that, that I fucking insulted on this show before. But yeah. this is pretty. It's you know it's pretty legendary. It's a pretty legendary record cover. Uh, it's mostly black with a little white in there. It's uh somebody playing playing the sax. I don't know. Do you know who that is? I'll get to it, but I'm not sure. I, okay. I, I'll just say my thoughts later. But <laughs> um, I feel like an idiot because I don't know. Yeah, and then uh, it says Swing Kids in a font I have definitely made fun of another band for using yes. on the show it is the legend script font and uh it's uh i always thought this is the first time i actually looked it up because i always thought it was kind of jarring that they used all caps uh which sucks like i don't know yeah. why they they chose to do that like you this is not a, a script font you should ever use all caps for <laughs> and that's what makes it kind of stupid but i always thought the g was lowercase but i looked at the font thing today and that is a uppercase g in the legend script font so uh so that that makes it it appeals a little more to my brain because my brain could not handle that they used one lowercase letter and all the rest uppercase but though no, they are all uppercase um but it is that font it's a legend script font it's a kind of a wedding invitation font that yep. you probably shouldn't use but they're such a legendary band that i can accept it i can accept that they <laughs> used the stock font and they're like fuck it because you know what are you gonna and you know 31g is obviously kind of known for their their design later on in life so it's kind of yeah. weird that they'd have this this kind of shitty looking record uh the back is pretty much the same all black nice typewriter font just has uh the bare basics as a quote by cecil Ter- taylor and the, the tracks no no fancy shit the rest of it's just black uh what i can't accept about this font is they continue to use it on the inside <laughs> with all the all the lyrics so it's impossible to read because uh yeah they do use they they made the choice to use lowercase so that's good it's a yeah. little easier to read but there's still enough of it where it's tough to read um yeah and the back is just like a picture of them playing a show not a great picture and uh the information and uh at for the last i don't know how long i've owned this record probably close to 20 years um uh for that whole 20 years i thought that was it i thought that was the end of the record but this time <laughs> when i was ripping it and scanning it i went when i went to go put the record back I looked inside and I saw text on the in, inner uh, sleeve, and I was like, "What is that?" I was like, "Did they print on side in the inner sleeve?" And it turns out there's this long typed out. Um, is it? Yeah, it's like it's. Uh, I guess it's like a yeah, it's like a fourteen by seven piece of paper because it folds yeah. out, and it's uh, it's just a long essay about um, integ- Im- immigration and stuff like that, and just uh, a lot of stuff that Jose Palafox, the uh, drummer, wrote. I'm gonna be honest with you, I didn't read that shit. It's uh it's, it's a lot of shit. Uh, I skimmed it and it seems like it's all the same shit we're still fucking going through today. And that always bums me out that uh looking at all this old stuff, 
how much of it is just shit we're still going through and nothing has changed in not in the corny like dramatic punk way but in the, like the real ass none of this stuff has changed like we're still going through all that you listen to old rap music it's all about police brutality all that shit's still happening so it's a real bummer to get this you know <laughs> very mundane yeah. pretty boring uh 10,000 word essay about shitty immigration stuff and it's still true and none of it's yep. changed so that sucks uh but yeah i never knew that existed up up until <laughs> so does your copy have this too yeah i have this and i have a little flyer that looks like it has it looks like some old-timey photo from maybe the 30s or something of two people swing dancing okay uh, i didn't get that two women okay. swim dancing in front of a, a deli or something like that oh okay yeah. uh but yeah so i didn't know they existed and usually when i uh we do this 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 show i pull out all the stuff and put it in front of me so i could just reach for it and i almost forgot about it again because it's just like almost glued onto the inside uh the record itself is pretty boring it's just a, a label that says one and two which is smart i know what label it is what is what is shitty about this record though is that it's a big 45 hole and it's on 33 which is uh <laughs> yeah it's always a no-no but <laughs> but uh you know it's it's a fine package for 1994 i'm not gonna say this is an amazing layout or amazing design or anything but it's iconic to me so i'm I'm not gonna say it's shitty either even though i would prefer if they used the typewriter font for the uh the inside lyrics instead of the shitty script font but but either way i can't i can't really dog it because it's such an iconic uh record package for me yeah i'll say the swing kids font is ass abyss straight trash zero stars i don't have any <laughs> uh hindsight i actually was into swing kids in real time and i got this record I was like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> what fucking nerve do you guys have to direct your name that way and uh yeah no okay so i'm not positive who this is in the cover it's like it's really like you know crushed like super contrasty photo yeah, it's you can like 98 contrasters yeah. yeah it kind of I, I was thinking it might be johnny hodges because it's an alto sax and uh like i feel like these guys were jazz noobs and wanted to stick to the swing thing yeah so they're gonna have a, maybe a swing sax player so i think it might be him he kind of looks like this, um, but everybody kind of looks like this when they play sax. Like when you blow a sax, your whole face gets all bulgy yes, yeah. and bony and weird. So this could be this could be anyone. This could be the guy from the Tonight Show. I don't know. This, that could be anybody. <laughs> Win Marcellus. Yeah. We could be Win. <laughs> could be anybody. Um, it would have made concept conceptual sense to be uh, Ornette Coleman. You know, mm -hmm. same guy that uh, the Refuse ripped off later. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't think. Well, I mean, you know, I guess they did put Cecil Taylor on the back, and he's kind of in the same universe as ornette coleman i love i like cecil taylor back so the back cover i say is fine the front cover looks cooler than the logo logo sucks uh, i think my i think mine is printed in silver with a white logo oh does yours look like that i think mine's just all white yeah mine the guy i'm, I'm pretty sure like, i got a way later pressing i think this is like one of the last pressings mine looks kind of like the guy is gray or silver and the logo is white so you know a little bit a little bit extra zhuzh yeah. there um once you get inside the record, it's a shit show. I mean, this is like, this is literally unreadable. <laughs> the wedding font, it's its really hard on the, it's bad for you to read this. And I do kind of like the grubby band photo. I think it makes sense for these guys because they're supposed to be kind of disorienting, chaotic. You know, that's the vibe they were going and for. And also, that's it's probably practice because I think they, they didn't play a show until this record came out. So <laughs> That's true. It so looks they like did, practice. They had a, yeah, they had to take a practice. And how, yeah. how, how many good pictures are you taking a practice? So. <laughs> Right. I mean, it looks like someone's in the corner hiding down below, you know, trying not yeah. to get hit by a, a symbol or something like that. <laughs> um, the I like the I like the plain record with the one and two on. It's testing the holding capacity of the typewriter font. How yes. much can you do with just the one <laughs> and the two on the typewriter font? Uh, and the insert, I actually dig this insert. You know, we talked about 
excuse me, I think it was Countdown to Extinction. Oblivion. Had a lot of shit on theirs. And I think we had some fun with it because they were writing about like really like vanishingly obscure politics. Yeah, yeah. That like nobody could hold these gripes past the five <laughs> minutes when they were happening. <laughs> and, you know, like this, this is this insert is bitching about something that came to color the whole world. Like the whole world is the problem that's on, on this yeah. uh, insert right now. And, you know, a few years back, all of a sudden, all the normal people in the world became aware of the existence of ice. And suddenly everyone's wearing fuck ice shirts. And, you know, that's good to keep that energy. But Jose is saying fuck ice 22 years before you on this yeah. thing. And uh, he also went on to become an expert on fuck ice. So I'll take his word for it that this was a bad situation. Uh, it's and it's it's a pretty well written. Uh, best of all, he managed to successfully compare something to the Nazis in a way that actually holds up to scrutiny, unlike everybody else in the 90s. We made up the word Godwin's law back then because everyone was really quick to jump to Hitler immediately. <laughs> You're worse than Hitler. And usually it was wrong. That's what the word Godwin's law means is that, you know, that you went too far. You went too far with the Nazi thing. Of course, now we have real Nazis, but he did it. Uh, Jose compared something to Nazism and he was correct for once. The only time <laughs> in the 90s that someone was correct to compare something to Nazism. It's a little wordy, but since you stand less than zero chance of reading the lyric sheet, at least you have this. <laughs> yeah. At least you have something to read. Yeah, it would have been more apt to read this back in the day than in 2023 uh, when I can't even read three paragraphs without picking <laughs> up my phone and looking on the internet. So, yeah. So, yeah, I get it. Um, okay, so, yeah, this record is five tracks. It's uh, three on you know, three on the first side, two on the second side. So, it's pretty yeah. full, pretty full sound for this band. Um, the first track is called Disease. So I'm going to be upfront that I, I really like all these songs. So even any nitpick I have is not really nitpick because I like all these songs. This is, like I said, a Hall of Fame record for me. And that also means I'm not going to have a lot of notes for a few of these songs. because I, I can't. What am I going <laughs> to keep saying? I'm going to keep gushing over it. That's not my thing. I don't gush. Right. So I can't really can't really gush over some shit. So uh, but yeah, this first track disease starts off with a little free jazz to keep the swing kids thing going mm -hmm. or at least their idea of free jazz, I would assume. But to their credit, because. It, it brought me back because there's a lot of bands um, that did this. They, they they glommed onto the jazz thing or like yeah. ragtime music and they would put samples <laughs> of that shit on their, their fucking records. And I was like, what the fuck? What's this make any sense with mm -hmm. hardcore? But whatever. Um, but to their credit, the the drummer, Jose, he's he kind of jazzy thing throughout. It's like a, yeah. if a Gene Krupa joined a scre screamo band or something <laughs> like that. It's just a, it's very much that kind of style of jazz drums. Mm -hmm. um, and this is what I think modern screamo is missing is that uh there's i bands now even though you know some are popular like a frail body i think that's like one of the the bigger ones right now uh they have kind of perfected that that early to mid 90s like very screamy uh scary screamo 
But yeah. uh, I think, you know, Swing Kids, as far as I know, has always been lumped into the Screamo or the San Diego sound or something like that. And mm. no bands sound like Swing Kids anymore. Nothing sounds like this. <laughs> and that is uh, that sucks. Like, so, like I said, some girls sounded like that. That's almost 20 years ago now. It's 15, yep. 20 years ago. <laughs> and uh, so it's been yeah. a while. And it sucks because Wes his, was, uh, you know, his band before Some Girls was way more popular and his band after Some Girls was way more popular. So mm-hmm. Some Girls, even though, and I, I even forgot where I was like, oh, I think they released a record. And then when we were doing this, they, they have like three LPs. So they have a ton of music. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't, check out Some Girls because they're, uh, in, if you like Swing Kids, because it's, uh, I listened to it today and it still holds up. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, this is what Screamo's missing. Nothing like really sounds like this anymore. So kids now, like, Go rip off Swing Kids. They only did nine songs, <laughs> so you can't you can't even really be like pegged for it. You can't be like, oh, you're a Swing Kids ripoff band because you can probably write more songs than the Swing Kids <laughs> had in one practice. So, um, I also never noticed that they kind of sound like their guitar parts kind of sound like Gehenna. They're just like mm-hmm. un, not heavy guitar, not as heavy as Gehenna, but they have that nee, 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 nee. like it kind of has mm-hmm. like the same sound to it. And, uh, you know, Gehenna is also from California, I think from the same part of California, I'm bad with geography. So mm-hmm. I think they're from that general area. So, uh, maybe that's, uh, you know, maybe a little influence. I don't know. Um, Justin Pearson singing is pretty off time usually. Yeah. And, uh, he's one of the few people that I think could get away with that. I think it works with, with the swing kids and uh, it works with this song and, uh, he's, he has a lot of repetition, which is good. Uh, like I said, you, before you don't you don't work a lot you work smart and uh he 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 makes like whole songs out of two sentences basically because this i think the lyrics to this are two or three sentences and uh he's just screaming pretty much nonstop for a minute and a half so it's a lot of repetition i like it i like this song as i said i like every song on this record i remember sort of experiencing the burst of bands messing with jazz imagery as a hardcore kid who at the time was also a jazz poser and i liked (laughs) it i liked that shit um i was really really trying to make my ska metal band into a weird jazz core band <laughs> and uh wasn't happening it wasn't happening for me and fun fact i don't think it happened for anybody i don't think ma- many of the people who tried it uh weren't really nailing it so <laughs> rye coalition you know they put out the record that refused blindly ripped off for cover art mm-hmm. um uh teenage dance session uh they also ripped that off that's just a verbatim they just took that verbatim from a, a swing record called teenage dance session <laughs> Uh, but biggest point of order, Rye wasn't jazzy. They weren't even slightly jazzy. It's no. not. There's no jazz on that record other than the cover. Uh, and the only people who were actually like f- for real mixing jazz and hardcore back then that I remember were like the New York City like John Zorn weirdos. Yeah, and they weren't part of the scene. They weren't like hardcore people. They were just jazz freakos pushing the envelope, <laughs> being weirdos. And like, and, and well, you know, to to be fair, there was like. You know, uh, Napalm Death members and Boredoms members and stuff that were working with them on that stuff. So they did have people in the mix, but the guys running the thing were just, they're, they're all ponytail guys and they still are. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> uh, Iceburn used to be considered jazz hardcore, but nobody has ever listened to an Iceburn record. So nope. no one, no one can verify that. Nope. Um, Swing Kids, I think Swing Kids is the only ones. They actually <laughs> put some plinky piano at the beginning. Uh, yeah, I, I assume this is Jose playing all the way through the skeet dee dat dee drums that go through the whole thing. <laughs> and he's good at it. He's actually, yeah. it's, it's great. And, but then the hardcore, once they get to the hardcore parts and, and a lot of the songs, it's pretty straight hardcore. It's pretty much just kind of, uh, accessible hardcore stuff. It's not like noise. Yeah. It's, it's pretty like straight played. And, uh, so I, when I got this record, I found out the, I found out the struggle dudes were still out there in 94. <laughs> And now they were fucking with free jazz, and my mind exploded with the possibilities. Like, oh my god, 
<laughs> I fuck with free jazz. They are too. You're kidding me. And uh, I got the record and it didn't sound like struggle jamming with Eric Dolphy or anything. So I was like, uh, okay, well, I just kind of said it's like, I th- and it wasn't because it's bad. I think it just wasn't what I was expecting. So I kind of put it aside. It wasn't really heavy enough. It wasn't weird enough. So wait, you didn't, you didn't like swing kids before I bought, I bought this record and I kept it, but I was like, it wasn't crazy enough because i think i'd gotten other things at the same time that were nuts yeah and this isn't nuts in hindsight you could see how it was but when i listened to it it didn't sound dark and weird enough because the, the the hardcore parts are pretty you know they're they're pretty accessible sounding and the vocals weren't really screamy he's more he sounds more like the refuse guy almost he's, he maybe predates yeah. that but he kind of has that like choked <laughs> and i wanted like black metally screeching by then okay. kind of, i mean i i never hated it just it just it just kind of went to the bottom of the pile because I think I had other things going on, yeah. going on or something. And was, also, remember I was in a ska band, so we can't take my uh, my we can't take my taste out of the mix. Um, uh, so yeah, but I think this is great. I like I like it now. I listen to it now. Uh, it does sound kind of like frantic hardcore with a little jazz flourish, and that's all you want. Because if we did get what I was expecting, we did eventually get swing metal. That happened, yeah. and it fucking yeah. sucked. Yeah. So it would have been really bad if these guys tried swing metal and like Demon Speed. Yeah. <laughs> Popular, very popular upstate New York, Demon yeah. Speed. Yeah. That's what that's what got Scott on the train was uh he heard Demon Speed once and it was off to the races. I had uh you know, I get the 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 shoes with the white on top and the black yeah. <laughs> spats. The creepers, is that what yeah, they're called? I think so. Yeah. Uh the next track is called Line One. notes uh I, what i like do like about this record is that it has a kind of a live raw sound like i think they recorded this at least partially live uh the vocals are very live sounding like he sounds like he's holding a regular microphone and yeah. swinging around and shit like that and uh it just reminded me that i audio read that uh that dan ozzy i think book where the the book about the uh the hardcore band signing the major labels and punk band mm-hmm. signing the major labels yep. it just reminded me of that because the at the drive-in chapter talks about how uh the early at the drive-in recordings were like they insisted on recording live like that so they could, ca- could like uh capture the frantic energy <laughs> of their live show and yeah. he's making it sound like they were going to war or something and that's kind of how that b- whole book is it's very hyperbolic in ways that sh- it shouldn't be and yeah. uh it's just like oh you know i don't never really noticed that about all that drive and let me put that on i don't i still don't notice it i don't really get that <laughs> from, from, no. from those recordings they just sound like kind of shitty recordings um but this 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 does have that live raw sound where these guys sound like they're actually rocking out. Even like I said, I think it's mostly live. Maybe the the guitars aren't live, but at least the vocals are. So it does give you that sound of uh, and not in a shitty way. Like it's, the recording still sounds great for '94, but it does have like a kind of a more more live sound to it um, that that amps up the the franticness of it. And uh, yeah, this is just a perfect song. Otherwise, perfect song, no notes. 
You, it's kind of funny that you said that thing about the uh, the the book because when I read about Justin having an autobiography, like a lot of people are like, "Ah, oh, who fucking cares? I'm not going to read that." You know, <laughs> I don't, well, why would this guy? Who who is this guy? I think he is writing autobiography, <laughs> and he does have a pretty like eventful life. Yeah. So you know, if if hardcore kids can't get together and be excited about a book, and then an outsider isn't allowed to write that book either. What's the sweet spot? Who actually gets to write these? <laughs> get, get away with it. Who gets to write these books? And uh, and it's not hated by somebody. Um, so, yeah. I mean, if you know anything about struggle at all, it's that probably that they were you know really heavy and that their lyrics were very overt, mm-hmm. <laughs> like very very overt and sometimes very silly. Uh, you know, the big hit song is uh, "Red, White, and You," and it has the line, "Welcome to America. We have the right to be beaten, yeah. <laughs> but not the right to torch the flag." That's that's a thought. I guess that's a thought. But uh. Mm-hmm. Justin said somewhere that he, you know, in the something I read earlier that, you know, he still hates cops, but doesn't want to sing about it. He doesn't want to sing metal songs about hating cops for the rest of his life. So they went very far in the other direction on this. And these lyrics are just, uh, you know, they're maybe socio-political or something, but they're not overtly political anymore. Yeah. And Mike and I, uh, when we were in bands before, we used to come up with a lot of silly lyrics to make fun of the bands coming up in the 2000s who had all these kind of baby, we got to get out of this town tonight, 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 like that kind of stuff. And the one that you used to sing always went, oh, yeah, touch it, touch it, touch it. That's this song. <laughs> That's this song. So in addition to making everyone dress like science officer Spock, uh, Justin might have had a hand in introducing that to hardcore because the unpleasantly suggestive uh, repetitious lyricism. But this song is cool. I like that the, the middle of this song kind of reminds me of Ink and Dagger a little bit. So maybe yeah. these guys were also listening to Circus Lupus and Swizz at the same time. <laughs> uh, last track on side A is Clean Shade of Dirty. So this is another perfect song, maybe more more perfect than the last one. So I don't have many notes. My only real note is, uh, you know, the, the, the longevity of me listening to this, the length of me listening to this song. There's always been backup vocals mm-hmm. uh, that are just very sparse. There's a He says a couple syllables, and then he comes back and does a couple syllables. I assume yeah. it's the guitarist or the bassist. I don't know. And uh, I never really looked at the lyric sheet to this because I always just listen to discography on CD or MP3 <laughs> or streaming or whatever. So I never really have to bust out the seven inch, but I was like, "Hey, it's in front of me. I could finally see what that dude is saying." No, nope. and I can't because I can't <laughs> fucking read it, man. Like I, I was just sitting here for minutes before starting, being like, "I, I read English. I could read this, and I can't. I don't." It said, "It looks like it said he says Doberman me or something like that, or dance on me, but Duncan me. I don't know." So I think it's, it, it's D U E R M A N, Dwerman me. Yeah. I don't so, know what that means. If that so means yeah, it's still it's still a mystery what the back of vocalist says. If anybody knows, please write into first seven club at gmail.com. Please please solve the mystery. Uh, but yeah, otherwise perfect song. I love it. Hold on a second. I'm I just coming to me that Dwerman means you dream or sleep or something like that. So okay. wait a minute. Nope. Let's if you Google Dwerman me, you get Swing Kids lyrics. <laughs> so, okay. So uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they made up their own word. They did this on purpose. This is all just a calculated joke to use this mm-hmm. font. To trick people thirty years later—that's that's all it is. <laughs> and it's the only line that guy gets to sing. What a yeah. what a shit show. Uh, so uh, one of the interviews I read, I think they said that Eric 
the late guitarist was into a lot of stuff and wanted to do a lot of stuff, but was really also into John Reese, the uh, the boss of San Diego weird hardcore and punk, the mm. rocket from the crypt guy. If I think of John Reese's guitar playing, it kind of sounds like he's playing normal stuff, but like he's squeezing too hard, like he's bending his guitar in half or busting it or breaking <laughs> a string, like just over going overdoing it. And uh, I also envision him playing against the drummer, so that you know things seem to be stumbling. Mm. And both of that's in this song. This sounds like someone's like bashing the shit out of the guitar. And I like it. It sounds, this song sounds like it's stumbling to me, but I think it's cool. It sounds like all the parts of the song are trying to catch up with each other, <laughs> like a bunch of pots and pans rolling down a hill or something like that. That's, that's a tough thing to do, you know, on purpose and make it sound cool. So I, I like it. I'm not a great judge of drums, but I love these drums. Yeah. I'd never really noticed it in the past. I think Jose is a great drummer. I love the way he plays. And he also has some kind of super snare. So when he needs something more <laughs> snary, he can evoke a pung super snare or something, or maybe he just plays differently. <laughs> uh, but that's amazing to me. And it has a nice big ending. This should almost have been the end of the record. Like it has yeah. a big, exciting ending and then, <laughs> and then it's done. Uh, so well, then you flip over to side B. First track is Warsaw. Three, five, oh, one, two, five, go! This is a Joy Division cover. This is it, the list always rotates, but this is probably close to top five Joy Division song for me. Um, not not influenced by this the Swing Kids record either. Just uh, you know, just normally it's it's yeah. a, uh, But um, I used to you know I haven't I actually haven't listened to this record in you know a few years. It's been a while, and in my mind I was like I think that cover is better than the original, but it's not. This is I was very wrong. This isn't. <laughs> really doesn't touch the original this is uh this is where the kind of off time and sloppiness really does them in yeah. uh, this is it's not like you know it's not like the original is like a precisional masterpiece or anything like that it's it's you know it's pretty pretty loose too but this is like sloppy sloppy off time and, and not in a good way it, this is the, the the liveness of this record kind of kicks in and makes it bad um, it's pretty tolerable for the first couple verses but then it just kind of falls apart in the third verse it's still a fun cover and it definitely predates um, hardcore people's interest in Joy Division by at yeah. least a few years. Yeah. So, and you know, this guy based his whole entire fucking record label off this one <laughs> song. Uh, so he is, you know, Justin is probably number one Joy Division fan in the hardcore scene, I guess, <laughs> because he's really into this shit. But uh, yeah. but yeah, it's it's a fun cover. It's just it, in my brain, I just had this this picture of it as being this perfect cover, but it's it's not really. I think at the time this came out, I wouldn't have known this was Joy Division. Oh, me I either. That was not a Joy Division listener. Yeah. I think I discovered it when we were doing our Joy Division stuff, and I started listening to that. I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's where I know this song from. <laughs> it was yeah. the Swing Kids record. Yeah, now that it's it's been so many years, I don't even feel like a poser anymore. That I yeah. I discovered, like, I knew Lovell Tear Us Apart, but I always thought it was kind of like... Uh, you know, like Under a Killing Moon, like just one of those yeah. kind of songs where they just had that one song and it was mm -hmm. kind of like campy. And uh, yeah, I didn't discover that Joy Division actually had like a ton of good songs until 24 Hour Party People came out. And that was, <laughs> you know, at the time saying yeah. that's probably pretty embarrassing, but that's still like 20 years ago now. So it's it's fine to yeah, be like, we got, we got the numbers on our side no matter what. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, I would have. So I didn't know what this. I wouldn't know what this was, and because like this is kind of a gnarly record. Uh, if there's one straight ahead punk song on it, that means I would like that one. So this probably would have been my favorite song <laughs> if I listened to this more often. I've always been dumb like that, but uh, now, I listen to it now and I'm just kind of like it's just whatever. Like I, he built this whole empire on this cover, and I don't think it adds a ton to the record. I, I would have rather had another Swing Kids song or something like <laughs> that. Uh, but what I did notice, so I wasn't expecting this. But uh, every time the chorus comes up, my brain was expecting a different riff. And that's because I just realized Overkill also ripped off Joy, Joy Division. <laughs> uh, the thrash metal band Overkill, they have a song called Time to Kill that has almost exactly the same verse and chorus sound. And I'm going to paste it in here to prove it. You're going you're to be hearing it now. And I love that album. I, I like Joy Division just fine, but I love Overkill the Years of Decay. So finding out that they ripped off Joy Division all these years later, <laughs> I didn't see that coming today. Uh, last track is called Blue Note. This is when the live sounding vocals are probably going to make it or break it for you. It's uh, it sounds like he's really, yeah, just throwing the microphone all over the fucking place. So if you are not into that, you're you're gonna hate this. Uh, the song isn't very fast, but the kind of raw re- live recording does make it still sound pretty urgent and kind of chaotic. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, there's a there's a part I don't know if I would call it a chorus, but there's a part where the music kind of stops and he he does this line where he goes bitch shot time time and time again bitch shot time time and time again. But uh, for the whole time I've I've listened to the song, it just sounds like a kind of like a doo wop, like bop 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 bop. That's 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 what it always sounds like in my head. Like it just sounds like he's kind of doing that doo wop shit. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it it brings a little humor to it. Um, this song probably has the closest kind of normal trajectory and structure of, of a song because it kind of like has a slow build that leads to, leads to like a chaotic, big, big, like epic ending. But, uh, you know, it's still kind of all over the place. It still kind of keeps you on your toes. Uh, probably my favorite song on the record, I think. Yeah, when we talked about Agna Marines, we had some uh, fun with the fact that they do the, the, the freak out lyric repetition, like the chanting <laughs> lyric. And this is, they had to have had this song in mind because yeah. they <laughs> That's that's the whole exercise of this song is just taking three words and saying them over and over. <laughs> but I like this. I, I like that the the main part is kind of a tension builder riff and then a big rock riff. And that big rock, it's just kind of like nah, 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 nah. it's just like you know one of those one note mm-hmm. kind of like drone rock riffs or something. And I like it's real propulsive. I like that part. But this does get dangerously close to the frontiers of sounding silly. 
Uh, especially the part that you mentioned, the bunch of time, time again, bunch of time. <laughs> like the music drops out and he says that and it gets kind of cartoony for a second. Yeah. I, I think they do enough brickwork around that to shield it from <laughs> being uh, really funny. That makes most of the rest of the song sound okay. Uh, and this has a good ending, but I think side one ended better. So maybe listen to this record starting in side two. Start with the cover that doesn't need to be there. Sounds nothing like the band. <laughs> uh, get your way through to the midpoint where they suddenly experiment with piano uh, mm-hmm. and then get to the big crashing ending that deserved to be the ending of the song. No charge for that advice. I just, I've redone the record for you. It makes <laughs> a lot more sense now. Um, there you have it. There's the Swing Kids self-titled 7-inch. Uh, as I said, this is, uh, to me at least, this is a pretty perfect record. And um, I can't really, you know, I can't really add to that. I, I think this is great. I think it's what Screamo needs. It needs something that's maybe a little more mellow than than, mm-hmm. than uh, the other Screamo that people emulate now. This is a little more mellow, a little more jazzy, a little more chill. And uh, it's still frantic. It's still, it's still, you know, moderately heavy. It's not like, you know, it's not like fucking Dashboard Confessional or anything. It's still, <laughs> it still has some heaviness to it. It has some punkness to it. I think it's just a great record for a, a lot of people, like, like a lot of different walks of life to like. So check it out if you haven't in full. It's uh, very available on Spotify, and there's 1,700 discographies. Um, with that said, I do a rating system where I say either throw it in the garbage, listen to it on streaming, uh, buy it from the clearance crate, buy it from uh, full price, or buy it for collector's prices. This record is moderately collector's prices in, in real life because there's so many versions that I'm pretty sure... If you really dug, you could probably find a copy for five bucks in real life. But, you know, on Discog- Discogs, you're not getting it for five dollars. You're probably paying at least 15, 20 bucks for it. Uh, in my mind, it's a, it's a collector's record. Like, it's a Hall of Fame record. It's something that I would put in my Criterion collection of seven inches. But it's it's not something I think you need to own. They have fucking nine songs and five of them are on this record. Uh, you could just you could just splurge for that discography. And uh, add their whole discography in one set. I think that's on LP. I think there's a version on LP. So just get that. You don't really need to seek this out. But if you saw it for five bucks, definitely pick it up if you don't own it already. Just for just to have it for nostalgic reasons or something like that. But but otherwise, perfect record. Uh, so the word in the street is that these guys literally directly made refused. Hmm. Uh, I heard this through heard this through the grapevine that uh, refused were just like normal Umea mosh lords <laughs> hanging out in Sweden. Uh, and then Swing Kids actually did a European tour, I guess. And then all of a sudden they were tucking in their tight shirts into their <laughs> pants and buying like dusty jazz records. And now we have Papa Roach. So <laughs> take it or leave it. That's what word to the wise. That's what I've heard. <laughs> and, uh, I, I think that I think that that era in hindsight taints how I look at the whole era of Screamo Kids fucking with jazz ideas. I think I liked I mean, I like Shape of J- uh, Punk to Come. I like that record when it came out. I still probably like it now. But. The things going on around that time and knowing how bad of a ripoff that record was, <laughs> uh, you know, they piggyback off. They also really, really piggybacked off of Nation Ulysses. Yeah. Like all the bands that were doing it because they, they had the market cornered on playing like this nervous breakdown, scree- screaming rock with beatnik lyrics and careful hairdos. That was Nation Ulysses. They <laughs> did that. They made that up. And then all the bands who messed with that, uh, when I sort of saw them through that lens later on and refused, really showed it because they ripped off everything at once. They should... They ripped off uh, that 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 Rye Coalition record directly. They ripped off Nation Ulysses directly. They started another band that sounded like the Makeup, which is the <laughs> Nation Ulysses guys' next band, and dressed like them. They were like just taking the, the they were like taking the cover off the whole thing for me. And I was like, man, you, you're showing too much, showing too much of your work. But I think 
I think the swing kids, even though they were in that bucket to me, and they, I think that they were kind of ripping off the same stuff, sounded like they had their own plan. They just sounded like they were doing their own thing. Uh, I think they stood apart from some of those other bands. This is what you're supposed to do when you're young. You're supposed to like rip off Diamond Head and end up forming Metallica, or you know, listen to a bunch of Black Flag and end up forming Rorschach. <laughs> Rorschach probably thought they were ripping off Black Flag when they started. That's what they you're supposed to do. So Swing Kids, they like drive like Jehu and Nation Ulysses, and they form Swing Kids. That worked out okay. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> so here's where I'm going to get some angry reacts, maybe even from Mike, is that this record doesn't have any staying power for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I liked it, but Struggle, you know, that Struggle is very dippy, but I'm never going to forget Red, White, and You. Yeah. I'm going to take true. that song, good or bad, to my grave. It has weird angles and edges to it that stand out in my memory. And I think that these guys going for that like San Diego wig out post-hardcore lane, I think they sanded off a lot of the stuff that I was into at the time. <laughs> and they left the parts that would lead to white belt hardcore. And not for nothing, I dipped out at white belt hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't built for fat kids, so I didn't really <laughs> st stay with that. Uh, and then what's kind of funny is that Justin brought a lot of those edges back with the Locust. Yeah. The Locust is really gimmicky sounding. It has a lot of like keyboards. And stuff. I, like, I know that we had a, like, a long stretch of kids playing nine minute sets falling down with keyboards, yeah. grindcore bands and like <laughs> kids with cannibal corpse belt buckles playing that kind of music. That's the Locust fault. But you know what? Moth Eaten Deerhead is still a jam. That's a good song. Like they put out a good record. <laughs> so he came back to what I wanted. So maybe he wanted it too. I, but I, you know, I think this record's super important. I think it's cool. I think it's good in hindsight. I like it. I'm glad we dug it up and then I gave it, you know, more of a chance this time around. Uh, but I don't crave it and I don't get, I'm not going to use it very often. So it's like my fire extinguisher. It's like a potato masher or something <laughs> like that. It's in the drawer if I ever need it. So I give it uh, four potato mashers out of five, maybe 4.5 potato mashers out of five. I go. Still pretty honest, pretty honest yeah. with that. Yeah, speaking of struggle, I, th that was one of the things I saw on stateofmindrecordings.com was the struggle LP, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll recommend that. And then I, like, it dawned on me. I was like, well, that struggle LP kind of sucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's only the seven inch that's very yeah. memorable. It's the, the, yeah. the, the struggle, the seven. And the uh, LP is not too good, but still buy it on State of Mind Recordings. I'm pretty sure it's very cheap, so go, go pick it up if, if yeah. you don't have it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's our episode. I completely forgot when I was talking about the voting system in the beginning that you are getting this uh this episode on wednesday morning if you listen to it the minute it comes out and the, the poll starts on tuesday night so mm -hmm. uh, you're gonna miss a few hours you you're gonna be on the clock <laughs> so, so, so as soon as this episode ends go vote because uh you don't have much time left you got a few hours so just go vote if you listen to this wednesday morning but yeah so i don't know what we're doing next episode it's possible we're doing swizz it's possible we're doing the prowler it's possible we're doing two other records but uh, until then scott do you have any last words I could put in I could put in any line from Red, White, and You, but I'm just gonna go. I'm up here to fucking fucking lick my boots. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Fuck Charlie Daniels. Fuck him. <laughs>